Morning Kick is live. It is Tuesday, April 19th, year of our Lord, 2022. Some of you have lost your minds, but I'm here to help you find it. I asked for boldness today, and you gave me a whole lot of it about 2022. The key was, I want you to say things you would be willing to bet your own money on. And some of you, I think, stretched that just a little bit. We are jam-packed, high atop a sun-splashed downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We got spring intel on the show tonight, quite literally from all over the country, coast to coast. Uh, How bold are you willing to be when it comes to going on the record about 2022, the year of our Lord in college football? I will discuss in about 10 different bullet points about 15 minutes from now. The Mood Tracker is back. Finally, it's Miami time tonight. One of our most, dare I say, the most requested mood trackers so far in the entire series has been Miami. And we've made them wait. We made them wait. Here we go. Now, if you watch the show for any length of time, you know that what's happening in South Florida matters extending well beyond just the boundaries of Miami. So I'd be paying attention no matter where you are in this great world of ours tonight, not just the country, because we have international viewers all over the place. I'll explain that in just a second. But A lot of you have been tuned in from the very beginning, and we appreciate it. And sometimes I give you little statistics and whatnot, and then others of you think we brag about the show too much. But is it hard or is it easy to tell how much the show has grown? Some people say, oh, that's hard. You can never really put an exact kind of finger on how much the show has grown. And I would disagree. And South Carolina helped us in this vein over the weekend. Colin has the footage. Let's take a look. This is the spring game at Williams-Brice Stadium, which we will talk about a little bit later But who is that on the big screen there? Well, it's us. I know it looks like me, but it's us and Roman Harper for that matter. So Lake Kick featured not only in hype videos from South Carolina, Michigan State, several others over the past couple of weeks, but also we made it to the spring game. How about that? Sandstorm, Lake Kick on the video board. What more could you want? As we've said many times, you put us in the hype videos or especially if you play us in the stadium, we are showing you love on the show. Appreciate that. They're watching us tonight in Chapel Hill, Tennessee. And I would imagine North Carolina, too. A lot of debate as to how to pronounce this city in the newsroom today. Ramstein is our best guess. Germany. Uh, Seattle and Portland both checked in. And Elizabethtown, Kentucky checked in. Let's talk about some spring intel and whispers. Because we've got a jam-packed show tonight. And we got a lot that I couldn't get in on the other show. And keep in mind, there are a lot of spring games coming up this weekend. But the ones that have just happened, let's dive in. Georgia spring game just wrapped up this past Saturday in Athens. A lot's going to be made of Carson Beck, the quarterback there. He looked good. He looked very good. What I do want to talk to you about, though, is what Kirby Smart said. Kirby Smart told you, um, we got a starting quarterback. It's Stetson Bennett. So he was very clear about it. And I'm going to be very clear that I believe the head coach at Georgia, just as I did last December when he was telling you, well, even though we just lost the SEC championship game, Stetson Bennett still gives us the best chance to win. So on this show, we're not going to do a whole lot of Georgia quarterback stuff. What I will do is I will look uh, beyond the just quarterback position offensively and think to myself, could this be as close as we've ever come under Kirby Smart to saying that a Georgia team's primary identity is offense? Now, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to say offense is going to carry this team. I think it's going to be the best offense they've had. I think it's got a chance to be the most potent offensive attack they've had. Uh, they, are, they don't have a shortage of able playmakers at quarterback. I think it's the best stable of receivers, of course, with the caveat if everyone stays healthy. Uh, they look good. Uh, Eric Gilbert, by the way, who is a guy that was on the national radar, then off the national radar, and showed up a couple of times in the G-Day game. They've had good things to say about him up there. You know his story. If you don't, we don't have time to rehash it on the show. But 
former five-star tight end and wanted to go to receiver, back to tight end. Well, I can tell you, and they can tell you at Georgia, confidently, if they continue to get from him what they've gotten throughout spring, he's on a road to being a major playmaker this fall for Georgia. Now, that's important because they don't really necessarily need him. They're loaded at tight end. They got good depth at wide receiver. But if they do have him, then that just goes a little bit further down the road of what I insinuated. And that is Georgia football under Kirby Smart. After what we just saw them do defensively, could be carried by offense a little more than you're ready to see this fall. What about Ohio State? I'm excited, and every single Buckeye fan should have been excited, to see how much multiplicity there was, I guess is the right word, for what they did defensively in the spring game Saturday. They had guys all over the place. They had different formations, different looks, and they were more versatile. They were more multiple in their spring game than they were in the regular season last year, which is not the way it's supposed to be, obviously. But for those of you who have not been keeping track, defense was a lot worse than it should have been at Ohio State last year. I would argue that's been the case for the last several years. I don't think I would be alone in saying that. So Ryan Day... He made staff changes in the middle of the season as much as he could, but once they got to the end of the season, he went and got Jim Knowles, one of the best defensive coordinators in the game from Oklahoma State. You've probably found yourself the last several years flipping through the TV and looking at Oklahoma State and saying, why are they so good defensively? What are they doing? What they were doing was spearheaded by Jim Knowles. He is now a resident of Columbus, Ohio. And they also have a surprising amount of depth in the secondary. I think you've gotten used to watching Ohio State the last several years and thinking to yourself, hey, even if they're up on us a couple of scores, we can get them through the air. We can throw the ball on them. You had a reason to believe that. You have been able to throw the ball on Ohio State. Well, Jordan Hancock, Stokes, a couple of those other guys, there are names behind them. On top of the front line guys, they look like they have some pretty good depth in the secondary. Depth leads to versatility, and that's what they need a lot more of. Again, there's no excuse why Ohio State hasn't been able to be more multiple. They don't have to sit back and wait for second and third options on the recruiting trail. They've got the best of the best. So they should be performing at a much higher level. Uh, they're really deep at running back, too. You know, Travion Henderson is the headliner. But when you look past him, and even past Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor is a name that a lot of folks are excited about around Columbus. In fact, one of the key talking points around Ohio State is, low-key, are we going to be able to keep this guy fed? Are we going to be able to get him involved enough to where we don't have to worry about waking up one morning and looking at our eye, Josh, and seeing, "Uh uh-oh, he's in the transfer portal. That's just a reality of college football in 2022 and beyond. So they look good. Ohio State is primed to make another run at the national championship. Arkansas, meanwhile, uh, this run game last year was really good. To give you an idea, Arkansas was a top 10 rushing attack in the country last year. They had about 228 yards per game on the ground. That was good for 7th nationally. I mentioned that because they think they can be better than that this year. And if spring is any indication and the feedback we've gotten from spring up there, I don't think they're wrong. See, Dominique Johnson is the presumed starter there, but he's been out most of the spring. So that's something that sounds bad, but more oftentimes than not, it can be a good thing, especially if your guy doesn't really need a lot of work and Johnson doesn't need a whole lot of work. You know what you have in Dominique Johnson. But Do we know what we have in Raheem Sanders? That's a guy Sam Pittman has described as an athlete becoming a running back. He got a lot 
and I mean a lot of touches this spring. Uh, did some good work in what essentially was a spring game. They had to move it indoors, and it was more a practice than anything else. But you've got him making a big jump. I think he will make one of the bigger jumps from any player off your radar in the SEC this year. So Raheem Sanders is a guy I'm excited about, a lot of them are excited about, but also, and this is no shock, they hit big time in the transfer portal. Uh, Jaden Hazelwood, standout this spring. Drew Sanders was all over the place. If you got to watch that spring performance Saturday, that's the kid that was at Alabama, and because of total and complete freak shows like Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, was not going to be a listed starter this year but he's about as good as 98% of the outside linebacker types in America. So he goes to Arkansas. There's no character concern. There's no other reason he was in the portal than Alabama's got historic depth at his position. Not surprisingly, he's been a standout for Arkansas this spring, a certain plug-and-play starter. And so they're going to be a really good team. I've told you how I feel about Arkansas. I don't need to rehash that either. They're going to be a really good team, a lot to be excited about there. As for Alabama... You know, their quarterback room is not something that's going to be talked about a lot nationally because Bryce Young's the quarterback there, and so there's no, there's no quarterback battle. Like, there's not a, any kind of debate as to who the starter's going to be. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't take some time to tell you their quarterback room's pretty nasty. Jalen Milrow is their backup. He's like a tank uh, that just has a different gear to him when he decides to run. He's like, he's listed smaller than he plays like I think he's listed 6'2 or 6'3 I've watched him from field level uh, for those of you who haven't go watch the spring game last Saturday he just he's he's big he really looks like Derrick Henry playing quarterbacks what he looks like so Milrow they get towards the end of that game he's made some good plays he's made some good throws he's shown you that he can obviously extend plays with his legs they get towards the latter portion of the fourth quarter the other day and Milrow rips off a run, not down the sideline. He just rips one off right through the middle of the defense and split a couple of defenders in the process. And it was one of those classic like Cam Newton, Derrick Henry type runs where since he's so big, you, you have this optical illusion where you think, okay, he's down. You almost like look away and start grabbing your phone. Then you look back up and oh, he's not down. And then you watch the replay and defenders took poor angles on him because they themselves um, miscalculated what kind of time they had. He's really good. He's so good that I think a lot of Bama fans now ask, well, how do we get him involved? See, it's one thing if you've got a pretty good quarterback who's listed as your starter, then you can find packages for your backup. They got the former Heisman Trophy winner there. Like, they got the best quarterback in the country or right at being the best quarterback in the country, but yet they've also got one behind him that may be too good to keep off the field. Say all that to say they got Ty Simpson behind him as an incoming five-star quarterback who doesn't figure into the starting rotation or anything, but he looked good. He let it rip a couple times the other day. Um, But quarterback is not the position room that a lot of people are going to be talking about with Bama this year. Nick Saban was on the field, and he was being interviewed by, I think, Matt Stenscombe. And Nick Saban pretty much had to openly admit, we're taking Will Anderson out of the game because we're not even able to have a spring game with him on the field. Will Anderson did things to his own offensive line that would draw charges in most states. It was really ugly. Just straight-up physical assault. Uh, Kendall Randolph, the left tackle there, had no chance. It was bad, okay? Let me suffice to say, it was bad. I had someone tell me that at this point, here's how ridiculous their pass rush will be this year. Someone told me, who would know, they could take Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, who were the number two and number three 
edge rusher types on their team. And they would make the most formidable pass rushing duo in most years for any other team in the country. Bama's got both of them, and neither are the best pass rusher on this team this year. Will Anderson is. Will Anderson was the best player in college football last year. Famously got screwed out of a trip to New York City. We took it personal on this show because we backed him. We endorsed Will Anderson for Heisman. Uh, Offensive line, that's the big question here. I don't think we came any closer to getting answers Saturday. But again, like I told Jesse out there, it's not relative to how good their offensive line is versus past Alabama teams. It's how good is their offensive line relative to the rest of college football this year. And so that remains to be seen. It wouldn't surprise me if they make another move on the offensive line in the transfer portal. Elsewhere, down at Miami, I want you to do me a favor. If you haven't watched their spring game already, make sure you watch a little bit of it. Now, we got a lot of hardcore fans. This is not, this is not a place where a lot of casuals hang out. So a lot of us pride ourselves on knowing more than just our team. Do yourself a favor. Don't be the guy or girl who gets taken by surprise this fall when Tyler Van Dyke starts popping off your screen a little bit. That's the quarterback from Miami. He's good. He's really good. The other day, 20 of 32 for 172 yards in the spring game, had several big drops, so he actually had a better day than statistically you're led to believe. And you're led to believe he had a pretty darn good day statistically. Don't be taken by surprise this fall. Every year, Some guy starts popping off your screen week three or week four, and then you trace it back and you realize, oh, wow, a lot of folks were talking about him in spring. If I were to have listened to them, I could have made money on this team. At the very least, I could have sounded a lot smarter than my buddies about this team. He's good. The spotlight with Miami, though, is on the run game. Well, one of the spotlights. Tackling is another issue, which, by the way, looked surprisingly good Saturday. But the run game, they were 98th nationally last year. I don't know how much better they'll be this fall, but I think they'll be a good bit better. They are mildly to moderately excited coming out of spring about where they are in the run game. So that, I mean, I expect a significant bump. Listen, if they're they're the 55th best rushing offense, it would be a drastic improvement over what they were last year. Uh, Run game and tackling, they were abysmal in both categories last year. You look at their schedule, we're a long way from predicting wins and losses on this show, but You look at the schedule, they open with a couple of games they should win, and then they got a trip to College Station, Texas in week three before they got another one they should win before they dive into conference play. There's a wide range of possibilities for Miami this year. We're not done talking about the Canes on the show tonight. Let's stay in the Sunshine State. Let's go to Florida. Anthony Richardson showed you why a lot of folks were really excited about him last year. That's the quarterback there, AR-15 to the locals. Got popped doing 105 a little bit after the spring game. Hoops amongst us hasn't. I've done it within the past seven calendar days. So I don't fault him that much for that. Got a little heavy footed, but he's got a really heavy arm too. And he's hard to bring down. And he's going to give Florida a really, really wide range of possibilities offensively this year. Now, if you're like me and you're looking at Florida, you're not really thinking about quarterback all that much. When I watched their spring game last Thursday night afterwards, because they had the audacity to hold their spring game during our show, I didn't think about Anthony Richardson. He solidified in my mind. What I thought is, okay, what they are at receiver right now is not good enough for me. How much better can they get at receiver? This is a team that's going to be a huge portal player. More on that in like two minutes. If they can add some pieces around him, I know it's easier said than done. If they can get a couple of impact guys, or, or just moderately good skill players on the perimeter. It could be the difference in a couple of games for them this fall. 
Because that's how good Richardson could be if you put the right pieces around him. But they'll need to outscore teams. They know it. They're not going to be a great defensive team this year. And so, with that in mind, knowing the style of play that they're going to have to incorporate, they got to go get better skill players. They got to get better wide receivers. Which brings me to a point Thomas Goldcamp made over on Swamp 24-7 today. Florida could be, in the Power 5 structure, a team that does more in the portal post-spring than any other team. His numbers, and I have no reason to doubt this, his numbers, they expect between four and six additional transfers incoming, and his math is that could be anywhere from four to 11 departures. So if you add it up, if you do the net total there, they're going to have a ton of coming and going over the past, over the next month or so. They already had a lot. So don't get settled on this Florida roster. And the thing about it is, if they get a couple of unexpected splash additions at wide receiver, crazier things have happened, I'm telling you it could change a game or two this fall because that's how big a deal that would be for them. What about South Carolina? Marshawn Lloyd, if you watched him, the running back there, looks to be pretty much all the way back, which is very, very good news because that's a guy who... Figured to be an impact true freshman at running back and then got hurt. And so if, if you've got 90 plus percent of him, he figures to be full speed and good to go this fall. Confidence should be there. Cutting ability. All of it should be there. So Marshawn Lloyd being all the way back gives them a really, really solid tailback room. I'm talking about around the SEC. So you've got him. You've got uh, McDowell, uh, Beal Smith. I always like two last names. I really think that If you look back over the past few years, one of the things we've said about South Carolina on our show is, show me the position room that is supposed to wow me. Show me the position room I'm supposed to be able to bank on. And it just hadn't been there. Uh, They are by no means a finished product there. Far from it. Had a really good day recruiting the other day, and that'll pay dividends down the road. But that running back room is at least getting closer to being a position room where as a South Carolina fan, you can look at it and you can legitimately say, all right then, like that's a running back. If I, I may not know about wide receiver. Like I, I feel good about them at tight end right now, by the way. But I may not know about a lot of other rooms, but I know about that running back room. So that's good. Um, I just want to say, I see what's in the prompter right now. We do have breaking news and I will touch on it right after this. Michigan State, they only had eight offensive linemen participating which is not the best position to be in. Two of those, by the way, were conversions from the defensive line because they just didn't have the numbers. Obviously, that'll be rectified a little bit come fall. But they feel, in East Lansing, like their pass defense will improve. Now, if you know anything about the statistical breakdown of Michigan State last year, you may scoff at that and say, okay, well, it can't get worse. And you are pretty much dead on the money right. They were 111th in total defense last year. They won 11 games anyway. Do you want a, a, like a reverse padlock stat? Who in the world, th- first off, who thought they were going to win double-digit games to begin with? Secondly, if I told you they were going to finish in the 100s in total defense, you would have thought they're going to be even worse than people think, and they already think they're not going to make a bowl game. They gave up 324 pass yards per game last year, one of the very worst teams in Power 5. So... It's kind of like the whole Miami rushing offense situation. How much better can they get? It's not going to be a top 30 or top 40 unit. Can they just shave it in half? Can they get in the top 60, top 65? Could make a huge difference there. 
So that, I mean, they, they've got better depth, defensive line, linebacker, corner, pretty much every level defensively. There's reason to believe they got better depth there than they did this time a year ago. It's exciting to watch. You know, Peyton Thornstill, the quarterback there, they got a lot of returning pieces. I think they returned nine defensively. Uh, it's not always the end-all be-all, but we'll see. So those are just some of the whispers and intel that we've taken away from spring camps all across the country. We're not done with that. A lot of the spring games for the Pac-12 happened this weekend, so we'll have a lot more to talk about on the Sunday show. Ajay Hall has transferred to Texas. That's the breaking news. Alabama wide receiver, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, at the very least familiar with him from the recruiting trail when he was at Alabama. Ajay Hall transferring to Texas. And you want to know who's reporting that? The teleprompter. That's who's reporting it. What do we think about this, by the way? Ajay Hall is a guy who didn't play at Alabama a whole lot. Certainly wasn't because he lacked the physical potential. It's because everything from the neck up was far from what Nick Saban and his coaching staff demanded in order for you to get on the field at Alabama. Sometimes guys need a change of scenery. Uh, Sometimes guys are just troubled. Ajay Hall is way too young for us to draw a conclusion as to which way that falls. Maybe Alabama just wasn't for him. It's part of the recruiting pitch at Alabama. It's not for everyone. Maybe it just wasn't for Ajay Hall. Maybe Texas will be for Ajay Hall. I'll tell you this. It's always fun to look in the transfer portal and to see a bunch of former stars next to a kid's name from high school, and you watch the last spring game, for example, there's no doubt physically what a Jai Hall can do for you. What are they trying to do at Texas right now? They're trying to overturn a culture. They're trying to inject what they want into that program, and they're trying to rid themselves of a lot of the past issue. It's easy to see the physical potential in a guy. Let me tell you where the risk is here. The risk is in what we don't know, because we don't know. We have no character evaluation on a Jai Hall. We don't really know what went wrong at Alabama. But I can tell you this, you better have done your homework if you're Steve Sarkeesian. You better have done your homework if you're Texas, because they are not a rock-solid cultural force over there that stood the test of time, and year over year over year they've been a proven commodity. They're very much a work in progress. you got to be very careful. It's a necessity that they had to go in the transfer portal this past cycle. Trust me, we talked about it a lot on this show. Who do you add and what do you add with those folks you bring in? It's very important. The who is a Jai Hall in this case. What are we getting? Well, we're getting a supremely talented player. What else are we getting? That's for us to eventually find out. That is hopefully something that Steve Sarkeesian and his staff have a very good read on. I don't doubt they do because otherwise... I don't think they would have rolled the dice here. They already figured to be a very good offensive team this fall. So hopefully they did a very, very strong and well-vetted assessment on this. And they just realized "Eh, that Alabama wasn't for him. Give him a change of scenery here. This isn't even the first Alabama transfer they've taken this past cycle. So we'll see how that works out. There is no doubting the football ability of the guy they just picked up, though. I mean, there's it's, it's a really good thing when the tangible that's in the room you can look at and say, I don't have a doubt. You can look at a Jai Hall and say that. You can also say that anytime you walk into Academy Sports and Outdoors. Yeah, and I think you all know that to be true. This Friday, some of us in this building are getting involved in softball up here, which means we got to buy equipment. Now, we already know where we're going for our equipment. I hope you know. I mean, I really hope you guys know. You can go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. Not only will they have your hookup on equipment, dare I say... If you're a newbie, like some people around here are about to be in certain sports, especially the land sports, um, you may actually get some pointers. I'm not promising you this, 
It really depends on location, but I bet you they could teach you a thing or two at Academy Sports and Outdoors. We also found out today Jesse barely knows how to ride a bicycle. So I know they got the bikes at Academy. Perhaps they have the role model that Jesse did not have in his life growing up that could, that could teach him how to ride that bike, maybe down aisle three. I've stepped up. I volunteered to do it. Uh, he has not let me know one way or the other on that. Uh, but also, you know, someone popped in the chat earlier today and said it was Logan. And Logan said, I just got home from Academy Sports and Outdoors right in time for the show. Perfect timing. And then someone else stepped up and said, thank you for your service, Logan. I couldn't have said it any better because that's exactly what Logan is doing. He is serving because Academy serves us. They put us on air. The very least that we can do in exchange for what they give us is buy the things that we're already going to buy anyway at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you can't get there in person, that's fine. I did confirm there is not an academy in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And so the fine folks in Las Cruces and everywhere else around the world, you just go to academy.com, order whatever you need, give it a couple, three days, obviously, but order whatever you need and it'll be there. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, I've got papers all over the place here, so I think we're going with this next. Yeah, boldness. It's a very important thing in life, right? To a degree, that is true. Earlier today, I asked you guys on Twitter, what is the boldest thing you believe about 2022 that you would bet money on? So I'm not asking you to just throw something outlandish out there. Now, most of you still fell victim because you knew money really wasn't on the line and no one was ever going to go back and, and vet this six months from now. But I got about 10 of them here that we need to talk about right quick. I mean, one of them was something that's always floated around for like the past decade. John Dunn, for example, says, this is Saban's last go around. How many of you believe this? John does. I don't believe that that's the case. However, I will say this. If Nick Saban were to have a year this year that was like 2020, where it's just one of the best teams he's ever coached and there's a storybook ending and you just look at it and you say, man, it can't get much better than that. And he's a little more fed up with NIL and transfer portal than we know. I guess there's this 5%, 10% chance that since he's been doing it as long as he has, I guess there's a small chance, a small window, but that's not something I see happening. Then again, when will you ever see it coming? So some of you do believe this. I think maybe you're trying to wish it into existence, but some of you do believe this may be Saban's last year. I don't think we're there yet. I think we're a few years away from that. Next up, I think this is a little bit ridiculous, but you know what? Let's talk about it anyway. Rev suggesting a Georgia tight end will be a Heisman finalist. EL Dog down there goes a step further. Stetson Bennett will be in New York as a Heisman finalist. Where's the bubble at? Let's just say the bubble's over here, okay? I got a pen in my hand. Pop. There's not going to be a Georgia offensive player as a Heisman finalist. That is not Georgia football. It's just not. And I'm the guy who 15 minutes ago told you, I think offense could kind of secretly be the identity of this team this year. I've been wrong before like two or three times, to be honest with you. If a Georgia offensive player is a Heisman Trophy finalist, I'll just sit here and tell you I'm wrong. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they'll be as good an offensive product this year as they've been under Kirby Smart. So I'm not hating on the offense. I'm just saying, do you know how good you have to be to be a Heisman Trophy finalist offensively? And then I'm going to leave it there because I want to be nice to my home state. Moving on. Let's stay in the SEC East and let's just talk about what Jim suggested. Jim, I'm telling you, I don't think you believe this, but you said it and so I'm going to repeat it. 
Gamecocks win the SEC East. If you said they win nine games, that'd be different. And I would challenge you on it because I think they're maybe more in the eight-win range. But you said win the East. And there's a lot of stuff that has to happen for them to win the East. Uh, Namely, they got to be better than Georgia. Now, they got Georgia coming to town early. And a lot of folks have that game circled in Columbia. They got them in Columbia week three. Okay, let's say that goes your way. You still got to have Georgia. I mean, let's just say Georgia runs the table the rest of the way. You still got to make sure you don't lose more than one conference game. Uh, You've got at Kentucky, you got Texas A&M coming in there. You got Missouri, you go to Florida late in the year, you got Tennessee late in the year. I'm just saying it's a tall, tall task. But if it were to happen, and I would say crazier things have happened, I would be here. Because this is all going in the can, it's all going on the YouTube channel, it'll be there in December. But if South Carolina wins the East, it would be one of the more surprising things, or maybe the most surprising thing on this list. Trending the right direction, no doubt about that. But I still think we're a little ways away from that headline. Next up, yeah, I think this is bold so far. Spurhorn, Texas going to have the number one scoring offense in the country next year. I, I don't think this is out of the realm of possibility. What were they, Jesse? They were top 10, I think we said this past year. And so they were up there in a lot of the critical metrics. They were up there offensively last year. And that's before we brought Quinn Ewers in the building. And we just, within the last hour, we've added the likes of Ajay Hall at wide receiver. They got one of my favorite playmakers in the country, and Xavier Worthy. I mean, we've been talking about him since the day he stepped on campus. Texas' number one scoring offense. Now, it's, it's hard to do. So let's safely say still a bold top three. I think that's one of the least bold, out-of-the-bold proclamations that were made today. Texas could absolutely end up locking down the number one scoring offense. Now, the follow-up is, how much of that is out of necessity because they find themselves still having to score 35 or 40 to win? Which is a defensive question, or a defensive question. Um, Really emphasize the D on this show, immunity. Uh, Moving on here. This This one's a little juicy. This one is crazy on the surface, but then the more you just sit back in your chair and think about it, the more you find yourself going, well, wait a second. Okay, so if you're listening on podcast, here's what it says. This is from Thomas J. He says, Pitt is going to make the playoff. Like I told you, when I first say it, you look in your mirror and you say, is he outside his mind? What is he high on? I get it. I get it. Pitt is a very good program right now. A lot of the advanced metrics folks out there, that's the team they're whispering about. Because all people know is, well, without Kenny Pickett, what are they going to do? Well, they added Keaton Slovis. I mean, they've got a plug-and-play quarterback there. Uh, they've, they've got culture now. Pitt's one of the quietest, solid cultures and solid developmental programs in the country. And now they get an opportunity without Clemson on the regular season schedule. And I don't think they're scared to play Clemson, but this is an opportunity where they have a unique mixture of avoiding the perceived favorite in the conference in the regular season. But they also get enough out-of-conference beef. If we could, Guys, can you throw the schedule back up there for a second? They've got enough here where they're not one of those ACC teams where you look and you say, oh, they've got to go undefeated. Because they got West Virginia on the schedule to open. They've got Tennessee. Those are two big out-of-conference games to open the season. Welcome back. Backyard brawl, by the way. And then they get into conference play, and they play enough of the, the middle to upper 
tier of the ACC. They play Virginia Tech. They play North Carolina. They play Virginia. They play Miami. They've got enough meat on the bone here where they could afford to lose a game, and if they win the ACC, they could still be a playoff team. That could happen. I, I think it's bold. Yes, certainly. That's why we're talking about it on the show. This would not be the craziest thing in the world. Like They could go on a Michigan State-type run this year and easily find themselves in contention. And while we're at it, I do want to apologize to Pitt and Tulane because the other day we were talking about best color combos in college football. Pitt's got one and Tulane's got one. So I apologize for leaving them out. Uh, we move along here. There's a lot of boldness, I told you. That's what we were looking for. AJ, never heard of her. AJ, USC wins 10 games. This could be true. Could also be true they win seven games. USC is going to be a high-octane team to watch this year. There's going to be wild volatility and potential outcomes. They open. You know what? Let's have a little quiz here. Do you know who USC opens with this year? It's not UCLA. Nope. It's not Oregon. Rice. What is the number one rule on the show? Do not lose to food. Or in this case, don't let food come within four touchdowns of you. But then they open conference play the very next week on the road at Stanford. This is a schedule where you look at it and you say, well, we'll be favored there, 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 and there. But it's also a schedule where you say, oh, we could get upset there, we could get upset there. So it's just going to be, I don't think there's any skill in really predicting this right now. There's so much unknown, yet there's so much skill, there's so much excitement. Uh, they go to Utah and Arizona back-to-back, got a bye week between there. Listen, it could happen. JP, Angels in the outfield, it could happen. Mildly bold take there by AJ. Um, this one I disagree with, but um, it's not the ACC one. Yeah, so let's do the ACC one. Let's leave this up. Robert Brewer. His bold take is the ACC will easily be the second best conference. And I want to stress the word easily because that's the last bit of credibility I'm going to give this tweet. The ACC will not be the second best conference east of the Mississippi River. So this is ridiculous. Easily the second best conference in the country is a stretch too far for me to even entertain in the bold takes segment of Late Kick in April. There's a long way to go. Okay, there's no top dog in the conference right now. Like Clemson, is there, is there any guarantee? Because that's what you're predicating everything on. Clemson's back, and then Mario pops a 9 or 10 win season year one, uh, a Virginia Tech or Virginia, one of the Virginia schools pops in year one. Jeff Collins hopefully gets Georgia Tech back on track, and then Wake Forest continues to do Wake Forest things. Maybe Pitt does surprise people like we just talked about. There is a lot that has to go right. North Carolina, who I happen to be a believer in, Needs to be this year what folks expected to be last year. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hope. Okay? There's a lot of needs there. And I don't think we're going to fulfill them all. You're talking about the SEC and the Big Ten just east of the Mississippi that the ACC is not going to be better than this year. So I think I'm right on that one. I'm going to speak pretty definitively. There's a little ways to go before the ACC starts talking like this. Now this next one is the one about the playoff, I think. Yeah, how about this? John says there will be no first-timers making the college football playoff. Now, we're several years in. I think we're like eight years in now, so it's getting, it's getting easier and easier to say this. But I still think he's wrong. I still think there's going to be a first-timer in the playoff this year. Now, we were starting to look down the list at how many teams would be first-timers. Uh, Miami would be a first-timer. Pitt would be a first-timer. Uh, Michigan State would not. you got to remember, they made it. But... You know who would be? USC would be. 
Texas would be. So there are still a couple of really big brand names out there who would be first-time playoff teams. I don't know who it's going to be. None of you were talking about, well, maybe some of you were talking about Cincinnati last year, but no one was picking Michigan to make college football playoff last year. They did. So I still think there's a first-timer out there, and I think this fall we will have a first-timer make the playoff. What I'm not ready to do quite yet, because it would be bad for business, is reveal to you whomst that is. Pause. Bookmark it. Uh, those are the college football playoff participants, if you're watching on YouTube so far, by the way. I think, I think people forget Michigan State made it. I think people forget Washington made it. Uh, Florida State, that's, tw- that's the first year back there in 2014. So FSU and Oregon made it that first year. And since then, you know, it's, it's been a lot of monotony there. Alabama's made it seven times. It's insanity. Okay, uh, there are two more here. Uh, we got a juxtaposition here. We got dueling bold proclamations to talk about with LSU. So Robbie thinks Jaden Daniels will be a top three quarterback in the SEC. Cooper Patagna, who I'm told has darkened the door of LSU a time or two down there, he's talking about an over-under of starting quarterbacks at LSU being two and a half. So there's one guy who just so happens to be employed here who thinks there's going to be a lot of twists and turns in the LSU quarterback situation. And then we got one guy thinking Jaden Daniels is going to lock that thing down to the point where he's a top three quarterback in the SEC. I, in classical fence-riding fashion, will choose to place my prediction somewhere in the middle. I don't, you know what, I'm a little bit closer to Cooper actually. Pains me to say that sometimes, but I, I just, I've told you ever since the beginning of spring, I'm not embracing this Jaden Daniels hype train quite yet. Uh, they have their spring game this Saturday, I think LSU does. So um, not that that'll be the end all be all, but I, I got to see that guy come in there and beat everyone out. I got to see him beat uh, Nussmeier and Miles Brennan out. If, and well, we'll say if slash when that happens, then I can start talking about it. Because we're talking about Bryce Young. I happen to believe in Hendon Hooker, but Anthony Richardson at Florida. You got KJ Jefferson. Stetson Bennett is just there at Georgia. Um, that's, um, that's bold. Yeah, I think it's bold. Not out of the realm of possibility, but I think it's bold. Last one here. This one would be a first timer making the playoff for sure. Anthony. Just flat out calling the shot. Ole Miss makes the college football playoff. Now, what I was looking at immediately, I went to their schedule. Of course, if they win the SEC West and they go to Atlanta and win the SEC title, they figure to be in the playoff. Okay. But then the follow-up, we've seen it happen in the SEC before, is they get beat, let's say, by Alabama. And that's in, what, the third to last week of the season. But what if they're unblemished the rest of the way? It's a long shot, but let's just say the best case scenario unfolds. Well, can they still make it in? I think the answer is yes, when you consider who all they would have played. They've played an SEC Western Division schedule. Uh, They've got LSU, they got Bama at home. They got LSU on the road, AM on the road, Arkansas on the road, and they got three road games and a four game stretch on the road. If they were to go through that and their only losses to Bama, especially if Bama goes on to Atlanta and wins and makes the playoff, Yeah, Uh, Ole Miss could be one of those non-division winners that sneaks in because they have that good a strength of schedule. They would need dominoes to fall elsewhere. But you know, we were talking good about Ole Miss the other day, and Lane Kiffin retweeted it and said it's rat poison. It's it's a lot more preferable to have to deal with the rat poison than for no one to be giving you rat poison to begin with. Because if you're not at least being fed some rat poison, that means the potential is probably not even there. So that's some boldness that a lot of you had. 
We're not even remotely close to done with this. We had about five or 600 submissions, likely more than that. We checked two hours ago. So we've got, we got a lot of meat left on the bone. Said that a lot tonight. We got a lot of meat left on the bone. Uh, but some boldness there. I respect it. Most of it, I respect. Um, are you serious? We've got more breaking news? I, when is the last time we had cut-ins with breaking news? Truth be told, Jesse just found out how to use the teleprompter. Okay, Jesse, you ready? <clears throat> breaking news. Notre Dame has moved back to the number one class in 2023 after top 247 commit Braylon James committed. Texas Tech is now number two. Which greatly upsets me that this couldn't have waited an hour because we got a little something we're doing at the end of the show about Texas Tech. But yes, you heard that right. We're going to talk for a couple of minutes about Texas Tech. But you know what? That's fine. We adjust on the fly here. As soon as I shuffle through all these papers and I remind myself which segment was next. Um, okay, look, good for Notre Dame. I don't want to rain on Notre Dame's parade. I, I, there is something that greatly aggravates me about recruiting this time of year, but I'm going to save it for the very end. But I guarantee you it's going to happen with Notre Dame, just as it has been happening with Texas Tech. So Braylon James commits to Notre Dame. Notre Dame now number one in the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings for 2023. You know what we have to do, though? First thing I have to do is straighten my microphone. Can't stand that. The second thing we have to do is we got to bring the mood tracker back. The mood tracker's been gone for quite a while because we wanted to let spring practice come and go. The mood tracker is back tonight. What is the mood tracker? It is simply us taking a temperature of the fan base. And which fan base are we taking a temperature of tonight? None other than the Miami Hurricanes. As I said to start the show, probably the most requested mood tracker in America. Any conference, including Georgia, Bama, etc. It's been Miami. And so at long last, here tonight, April 19th, we're talking about Miami. I went on InsideTheU.com earlier today. And I asked them, what do you think? Fill in the blank. My current mood towards Miami football is what? There was no mixed emotion over there. I mean, I think a lot of you on the outside kind of sort of understand how excited they are down in South Florida, but you don't really fully get it. That whole, it's a cane thing you wouldn't understand. Boy, it's true with this. They are over the moon excited. And I took all that and I packaged it up. And you know what the mood at Miami is right now? The mood at Miami is our time. A lot of people say that. But there's a specific thing I mean around Miami when I say our time. If you're a Hurricane fan, you know what you've been forced to stomach over the last decade or two. You've been forced to stomach a lot of the administration trying to do it in a way other than the way you want to do it. And so you got on board, like with Randy Shannon, you got on board, but it never felt like there was full synergy and buy-in and everything's moving the same direction, even though it was one of your guys. You had the Al Golden era. You were on board, but it wasn't going the direction you wanted it to go. You had Mark Richt, a former guy that you, you knew. He knew Florida. You knew the state. It, it felt like he dove back in too quickly from Georgia. It didn't take any time off, and it never really clicked down there like you wanted it to. And then you had Manny Diaz come in, and you bought in again. It never really clicked like you wanted it to. My point is, Miami folks have had to stomach a lot of doing it the way they don't want it done. And now, for the first time in some of their lifetimes, if they're like 18 or 20 years old, finally, the administration around Miami is doing it their way. They're doing it the Kane way, 
And that's why everyone's so excited because now they look at it and they say, this is actually our time because for the first time in forever, seemingly the administration buy-in is there. We got one of our guys in the head coaching chair. We got a guy who helped build the culture here. He fully gets the culture. You cut him open. He bleeds the culture of Miami, but also the boxes that weren't checked previously are checked. No one's questioning whether we're going to have funding for this or full administrative buy-in for that. It's all there. That's why it feels so different. It's not just Mario Cristobal. It's what all came with Mario Cristobal, which I don't think outsiders get quite yet. They're looking at Miami, and they think it's the same old Miami just with a new head coach, and they've already decided for themselves no head coach is going to succeed down there as long as Miami is what they are. That was true, but you're speaking in the present tense. That's the past tense. Total new day at Miami now. So it's not only that they got their guy that they wanted for a long time, they got their guy and they got their set of conditions. So it's on their terms now. So when I say it's our time, that's why Miami fans feel that way. They feel that way because they got their guy and then they got it on their terms too. The rest of the country is going to scoff at this. And I understand that. And my humble advice to Miami folks is don't worry about it. Um, We all know What history has shown us the rest of the country thinks of you when you're on the right track. So I would actually wear it as a badge of honor the more irritated the rest of the country gets at the talk about Miami. But there's a very specific way that things have to be at Miami for them to achieve uh, their ultimate potential. Hadn't been there for a long time. I mean, it's been a really long time. They joined the ACC in 2004. They've had a double-digit win season once. That's 18 years. There are legal adults roaming the streets of South Florida who have seen one double-digit win season in their lifetimes. That's totally inexcusable on every level. And so the reason there's a lot of excitement down there is because you got 30 or 40-year-old or 50-year-old Miami fans who actually have, once upon a time, seen it done the way it needed to be done. And then you had a lot of people with their hands on the wheel who had no business having their hands on the wheel. And I'm not even talking about coaches. I'm talking about administrative types. I'm talking about people who love to do the window dressing. They love to go to the speaking engagements. They love to throw up the U, but they had no business throwing it up because they had no clue what it meant. People in charge now have checked the boxes that lead you to believe they know what it means. And if they need to get out of the way and let some folks in the room who do know which direction to steer the ship, Looks like they're willing to. Looks like they're willing to write the checks. And it looks like the people who are capable of writing those checks have come in the room. It's a different feel. Now, it's going to be feel for a while. You don't just get results right off the bat. There's a reason why the old staff is out and the new staff is in. Uh, But this is not an empty cupboard that they're inheriting either. So they got some players down there. I'll tell you what they do have. They got a quarterback. So if you got a quarterback, you got a shot to do some things right off the bat. Uh, But they've also got recruiting And they will always have recruiting as long as Mario Cristobal is down there. They've got an understanding of what Miami is supposed to be. And that's not always something that you could confidently look in the mirror and tell yourself as a Miami Hurricane fan over the last several administrations. One double-digit win season since 2004. My bold prediction for the show tonight, that drought's about to come to an end. So that's the Miami mood tracker. Now, speaking of recruiting... We had a question that I wanted to close the show with tonight. To my knowledge, we've never done a segment on this program about Texas Tech, but it's time to do it tonight. Um, Here's what one of you asked, and I want to. Here's let me tee it up first. So Steve Wilfong writes an article last week 
about Texas Tech and how they had the number one recruiting class in the country for 2023. And I retweeted it. And so let's take a look at the question here. I'm going to read it for those of you on podcast, and then I'm going to respond. So Wilt Fong writes an article last week, Texas Tech for the moment's the number one rated recruiting class in 2023. I retweeted it. And so a number of you came at me. I'm just going to use this one. Uh, Texas Strong Built Tough is the Twitter handle. At Lake Kick Josh, why does anyone care what Texas Tech's class is ranked when we're still a year away from signing day? It's like taking a victory lap in week two. I would offer this follow-up. Why do people who claim not to care about something always end up being the ones who yell the most about that thing? I couldn't tell you how many dozens of people I had come back at me when all I did and all Wilfong did was speak reality. It was not opinion. They were, at the time, they're now number two as of tonight, but they were the number one recruiting class for 2023 in the country. Is it early? Yes. Was everyone aware of that when we made that statement? Yes. Let me fill you in on how significant this is. We're not talking about Bama or Ohio State. Texas Tech, the Red Raiders of Joey McGuire, they were number one in the country. They have finished top 30 once in the past decade in recruiting. One time. So those of you who thought you were overthinking the room, popping into my Twitter mentions and saying, well, you know, they're not even going to finish top five. I know that. That's probably the least bold proclamation that's been made on that platform. And there have been some really obvious points made on that platform over the years. Everyone knows that. My point is, if they drop 15 spots, it would be a historic class. If they drop 20 spots, it would be one of the best classes they've had in forever out there. I was on The Athletic today, though, and I was reading some stuff from Matt Fortuna, who wrote an article, actually, about the Texas Tech program. And he made a good point about Texas Tech as a university. He said about Texas Tech, you know, people think about Texas Tech as being out in the middle of nowhere in Lubbock, and I don't really think that a lot of folks understand how good the culture is out there right now. And he was talking about the athletic department as a whole. Now, I didn't know some of this. I do know, for instance, guys like Pat Mahomes have come through there. They've had Lincoln Riley. They've had Cleve Kingsbury. The football part about it, I think a lot of us know. But to speak to the level that the athletic department is capable of operating at, uh, men's hoops, national title game 2019, track and field won a national title that year. Both men's and women's golf teams, top 20 right now, baseball, college world series, four out of the last seven years. They do it kind of quietly. They're off the national radar. Texas Tech's got a really solid athletic department and a really solid set of programs out there. Enter Joey McGuire, who is the head coach out there that hardly any of you know anything about. I think you would be shocked if you went and read about him just knowing what his story is. This is a guy who came from the high school ranks, but I'm not talking about a guy who played in high-level college football, got drafted in the NFL, didn't cut it, so spent a couple of years in high school, and then quickly went into the college ranks. He was in high school years and years and years, and now after, uh, I think, a stop in Baylor, he is, he's at Texas Tech. We mentioned the word culture a lot. On this show, we don't throw it around flippantly. We're talking about what Sam Pittman has, what uh, Mel Tucker has. We're talking about what Mario Cristobal hopes to have. Talking about what some of these guys who, uh, to varying degrees, are are culture fits and specific fits to their programs have. Shane Beamer, for example, has some of this going on at South Carolina right now. Uh, Brent Venables, I think, will have some of this going on at Oklahoma. It's going to be a lot quieter. 
But the early returns out of Lubbock are that Joey McGuire's brought a lot of that out there. It's quiet, like I said. This is not going to be something that leads Sports Center or, or college football game day, college game day every other week. But it's something to keep an eye on uh, because this is a conference that is about to be void Texas and void Oklahoma. And there's a lot of talk about who's going to step up. Will it be one of the newcomers like Central Florida or Cincinnati? Will Baylor step up? Will TCU step up? What if Texas Tech steps up? There's a different way they have to do things out there too. But what if they step up? You know, what if they do start making a little more noise on the recruiting trail? What if they are a little more active in the portal? What if they get their act together in NIL? Just some things to keep an eye on. If you want a sleeper, if you want a team to watch for the next couple of years, if you want a B team that, that kind of Velcros itself to your favorite team, Texas Tech. I would advise you adopt the Red Raider program out there. They'll be glad you did. I'm not going to talk about it tonight. That's the end of the show. I'm not going to talk about this tonight. But there's something that I, I've probably got to spend a couple of days on. There's something going on right now. Some of you already know about it. Um, many more of you are going to find out about it. It's bad. It's not a good thing. It's happening across the country. It has to do with everything from parking to concession prices to ticket prices to what it costs for you to tailgate. I mean, some of the things we used to take for granted as just being free, like that patch of grass there. If I can get it, it's free. You are being so thoroughly gypped and ripped off at a number of these programs. Some of them are very, very close to this show. Like we're going to step on some toes when we eventually do this segment. But there is some garbage that you're having to deal with as a fan, as a ticket player, uh, player, and especially if you're a season ticket holder at some of these major universities. You are getting the shaft. And it's taking the sport in a, in a direction I don't like. It's taking the sport in a very professional direction. Uh, by professional, I don't mean of higher integrity. I just mean it looking like the NFL looks. You watch the Super Bowl and you know it's a corporate setting. Those are corporate block seating structures. Uh, the average fan has long since been priced out. Well, in college, we've always prided ourselves on that not being the case. You've prided yourself on your family being able to go to games, on being able to go back to campus. You've got your favorite tailgate spot, and you got this and you got that. And a lot of families are just being priced out of it. And it's not because this sport and these universities are hurting for money either. It's because the wrong people have their hands on the wheel in some cases of this sport overall, but in a more micro example, several athletic departments around the country. So if no one else is going to call them out, we'll call them out. I don't know if we're going to do it Thursday or Sunday. To be honest, I want to talk to some people in some of these athletic departments to try and get an explanation as to why some of this ratchetness is going on. But that's coming. So in the meantime, I'll tell you what, if you've got a story about giving up season tickets, whether it was by choice or because you couldn't afford them anymore, my DMs are open. I would love to get some testimonials from you. Um, until then, we'll be back here Thursday night. This was just our makeup show from Easter. We'll be back here Thursday night. Appreciate you guys watching the show. Make sure you are subscribed, whether it be podcast or the YouTube channel. Thank you guys so much. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Payne. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. God bless.